Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I do think there's a ton of complacency today among Christians. There's not like vision, there's not passion, there's not conviction, you know, that that God is at work. And I just believe we're at a strategic time. And complacency is the very last uh, attitude we should have. We should not be complacent, we should be engaged. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on the book of Zephaniah. Now here's Pastor Brian. Zephaniah. It's right before Haggai, right after Habakkuk. So Zephaniah. Zephaniah will be the last of the pre-exilic prophets. So these, all of these prophets that we've been studying have all prophesied prior to the Babylonian captivity. And Zephaniah would be a contemporary to some degree of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the one that will, he will prophesy right into the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. So, so this, is, this is during that, that time frame, the final, final phase. Remember last week we talked about Manasseh and his 55-year reign and, and the incredible wickedness that he imposed upon the land, but then he had a conversion experience when he was led away captive to Assyria. And he personally repented and God forgave him, but the die was already cast and uh, the judgment was already sealed. And when Manasseh passes off the scene, his son Ammon comes to power and he continues on in the course that Manasseh had been in before he repented. And so Zephaniah is prophesying now in the reign of Josiah. And we talked about Josiah. He's that, he was that, just that little bright light in this dark period, as far as the monarchy goes. And he and Jeremiah were contemporaries. Jeremiah and he were it seems like they were probably of a similar age. And so it's during the reign of of Josiah, we saw that there was that prayer by Habakkuk. You remember he was, he said, um, he said, Lord, revive your work in the midst of of the years and in wrath, remember mercy. So, so the judgment was already set, but but the prophet is crying out for mercy, uh, even though wrath is going to come. May, may there be these seasons of mercy, and that's what we have with Josiah. But as we're going to see here in Zephaniah, the condition of the nation is still pretty much corrupt with just a, a small 
remnant of people who are genuinely seeking the Lord. So the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So Zephaniah is, he's of the royal family. And he's related to Josiah. He's another one of, he's a great grandson of Hezekiah. And so it's interesting because of all the prophets, uh, he is the only one that has this extensive of a genealogy. So the rest of them, it would generally just be Isaiah, the son of Amos, and, and, you know, maybe just their immediate ancestor. But here with Zephaniah, we have this extended genealogy, and more than likely because of his connection to Hezekiah. And, and he is part of the, of the royal family, in a sense, but he's a prophet. And he's unpopular, of course, because of his message. And so he begins his prophecy and he's speaking, obviously, as the mouthpiece of the Lord. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So again, we're going to see that this is one of those double types of of prophecies where so often the prophecy has a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. And so here, the Lord is talking about his judgment upon the whole earth. But the immediate fulfillment of that is going to be his judgment on Jerusalem. So we'll see as we read through, we'll see it kind of goes back and forth from at, at one point, he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking sometimes about some of the surrounding nations. But then he keeps coming back around to looking at what we know as an event that's yet future, the final judgment. But that's what he's referring to here. And so he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of the worship of Baal in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priest, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. So notice, he's talking about people who swear by the Lord, who swear by Yahweh, but also swear by Molech. So this is the kind of spiritual confusion that existed at the time. And, you know, it's kind of like the spiritual confusion that we live in today. I I was listening to a podcast by a friend of mine in England And he was talking about a a guy there who has had a very prominent role as an evangelical leader over the years. And he has been on this drift 
for quite a few years now. Some years ago, he wrote a book in which he, he accused God. If Jesus died for the sins of the world, if God the Father you know, sent Jesus to die and punished Jesus in our place, then he said God is a cosmic child abuser. So he said that a number of years ago. And, and now today, his, he's gone all the way to the point where the gospel isn't really about Jesus dying for the sins of the world. It's not about people personally having their sins forgiven. It's about social justice. It's about doing good to the poor. It's about making sure everybody who loves each other can get married, not have any problems and be supported and, and all of this kind of stuff. But he's still recognized as an evangelical leader. So it's kind of the same thing. He's, he'll talk about Jesus. He'll, he'll swear by the name of Yahweh. And then in the next sentence, he'll be talking about Molech. And so these, these things just repeat themselves over and over. So be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. Those stepping on the threshold, nobody really knows exactly what this is referring to. Some think it's referring to uh, a practice among the Philistines. Uh, Others think it's just a reference to the kind of violence and things that were going on where people would just rush into a place and pillage it and, you know, skip over the threshold and then take all the loot and run out the door. Obviously, there's something there that they understood. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent. So searching Jerusalem with lamps, the idea is like he's going to search it thoroughly. Like you would, in the dark, like you would have a a flashlight and you would be searching for something. God's going to make a thorough search of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice this. So he says, and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So the complacent. I do think there's a ton of complacency today among Christians. And it's just sort of, now we don't know what the Lord's going to do. There, there's, there's not like vision. There's not passion. There's not conviction, you know, that, that God is at work. And I believe, and I've said this many, many times, but I'll just <laughs> say it again. Um, I I just believe we're at a strategic time. 
And complacency is the very last uh, attitude we should have. We should not be complacent. We should be engaged. We should be thinking in terms of what is God doing and how does he want to involve us in what he's doing as a church, together, collectively, but our own lives. Lord, I I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to just settle into this mode of ease and comfort. And it's really not a, a wise time to be doing that. I mean, everything around us is just shaking all the time. And God wants this shaking to shake us up, to get us out of a complacent state. And so let's not be a complacent people. Let's be an expectant people. Let's expect the Lord to do something. That's the idea. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. So the great day of the Lord in the immediate case would be the judgment that Nebuchadnezzar would bring upon the nation. The great day of the Lord in the larger sense, of course, will be the return of Jesus. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. So it's a day of judgment that is coming. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Wow. Wow. Now, this is uh, a point. I, w- I, want, I want us just to see this because this will help us understand some things. God is speaking in hyperbole here and, and talking about this, this whole thing of, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the face of the earth. Now, we have the whole context of scripture and we know that Not every person that lives on the earth is going to be obliterated from the earth, but it will be as though that were the case, the the judgment will be so extensive. But the point that I want us to see is just simply that there are times when the Lord would use hyperbole. Jesus used it in his teaching. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Did Jesus want anybody to cut their hand off or pluck out their eye? No, he did not. He never intended anyone to do that, but he was using hyperbole. He wanted them to understand how serious the issue was. It's so serious that you would be better off without your hand or your eye. So 
so so we need to understand that. So then when we go back into like the conquest of, of the land of Canaan by Joshua, and we hear these statements like they they utterly destroyed everyone, some of that is is hyperbole. Because as you just keep reading the story, you realize, well, wait, I thought they destroyed all those people, but they didn't destroy them because they're still there. And so if we understand that that is sometimes being used in that way, then we can answer back. You know, people today are on a mission to criticize, to find fault with the Christian faith, the Bible, and they will, they will come up with anything they possibly can. So when they look back at the conquest of Canaan, for example, you know, how could God command that these women and children and all of this be destroyed and so forth? And they, they try to use this as ammunition against belief in God. And not in every case, but in some cases, we do have to look at the context and understand, okay, is this literally what happened? Or is this hyperbole that's being used to just make a point of how extensive the judgment was. And so we see an example of it, like I said, right here. He will make a sudden end of all those who live on the earth. It's talking about it's going to be a very severe judgment and it's going to be vast. But we know from the New Testament, from the book of Revelation and so forth, uh, even from Matthew 25, Uh, 24 and 25, that when Jesus comes back, he will gather the nations together. So there will be people still that survive those judgments. So chapter two, gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So these words, I think, are directed at the time. They're directed to those people that have responded to the efforts of Josiah to purge the land of idolatry. So if you go back in in 2 Chronicles and you read the the last few chapters and you read the story of Josiah there, it was really amazing what happened with Josiah, how he began to seek the Lord personally. I mentioned that last week. And then how he began to institute reforms and they started cleaning up the, the temple And the temple had been used for various idolatrous things during the reign of Manasseh and so forth. So they're cleaning up the temple and Hilkiah finds a copy of the law. Now, this is what's mind-blowing. They had never seen a copy of the law. And Hilkiah finds uh, this copy of the law and he takes it to Josiah and he says, we found this in the temple And he starts to read it to Josiah. And as he reads it to Josiah, Josiah rips his clothes and he's he's lamenting before God because as, as the law is being read, he's seeing how clearly they have broken 
God's law over and over again. And so Josiah begins to, to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord sends him to the prophet Tess Huldah. And he comes to Huldah, this woman who is a prophet, and she begins to prophesy over him. And she says, because your heart was tender, because when you heard the word of the Lord, you were moved by it. God is, he sees that. And, you know, she goes on to say that he's not going to, he will not be the one whom Nebuchadnezzar conquers. He will not live to see that, that kind of judgment. But, but anyway, Josiah, in his zeal, he not only cleansed Jerusalem and Judea, but he then started going to all of the different parts of the land, and he went all the way up in the north to Naphtali. Now, if you remember, the northern part of the country had fallen to the Assyrians a long time ago. But there were still Israelites in the land, but there were Assyrians in the land. It was like a different country now. But Josiah goes into these parts of the northern kingdom and he goes bringing those reforms. He goes tearing down their idolatrous worship places and he goes reminding them about the law of God and calling people to put their faith back in Yahweh. And so there really is this revival that takes place under Josiah. And I think it's these are the people that he is addressing here. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. And the prophet is calling them to seek the Lord that perhaps there might be an extension of mercy toward the nation. And this is a good word for us, for all of us who believe in Jesus as as we're in the midst of this land that is racing toward judgment, what can we do? Well, we can seek the Lord. We can call out to God. We can ask God to intervene and and believe that he will do something in our days. So I'm not going to belabor this because I've said this over and over again, but let's just have that kind of confidence that God, even if the United States of America, even if the doom of this nation is sealed, that that doesn't mean that we will not still in the future see times and seasons of God's mercy poured out throughout the land. I I think that we will. But do we think that, that we will see that? You see, that's where the faith comes in. If I think I'm gonna see that, then I'm praying for it and I'm asking God to do it and I'm looking for where I might see it begin to take place. And so that's the posture that that we need to be in during these days. Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and I've got a book that I want to offer to our listeners this month. 
And it's a book by Jared C. Wilson. And the book is entitled The Imperfect Disciple. And what a great book, because all of us are that person. We are all really that imperfect disciple. But the subtitle is Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And I think so often we sort of feel that way. But what we need to know is that God is for us, He's with us, and He's going to help us, and He has promised us grace so that we ultimately can get our act together. So I think this is going to be really encouraging. So we'd love to get a copy out to you. Just request it here from Back to Basics, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. You can order the book The Imperfect Disciple by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson, to help you experience God's grace that has the power to transform anyone. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Zephaniah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.